0: Heavenly Father, thank you, almighty God, for the opportunity to study your word tonight, Father. And I pray, Lord God, that you give me wisdom, Lord God, that I don't have, Father. I pray, Lord God, that I would speak of your love and of your mercy and of your grace, O God, and that Jesus Christ would be glorified in everything we say and do. And may all power and all glory go to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We're talking about the the exciting saga of love and marriage. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, we, we, we've done, this is the third one we did. We did an introduction and then we did a part one. I don't know if you all remember the part one and then Lisa did the uh, five languages of love last week. So, this is this says part two but it's really the fourth week we've done this and here is, the topic we're talking about tonight is knowing and doing and this is from a book called the um, um, Relationships in Ministry. And it says this, do you know the enemy of your relationship? What is the enemy of your relationship? And this just didn't this just didn't marriage relationships, although that's what we're talking about. But it's about, it's, this is relationships in general. Any time, listen, I, I, now if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this tonight. Because this is one of the most important things you can learn when it comes to relationships. Any time whether it's marriage, friendships, any kind of relationship you're involved in, when you start thinking that the relationship is all about you, then that relationship is doomed. It's doomed. Because nobody wants to be around somebody who's always saying that they're not happy because of something that's going on in a relationship. I'm just not happy because y'all don't ever ask me to do nothing. Well, we don't ask you to do nothing because you're in a lot of trouble when you're there. And we always got to be careful about what we say. And we always have to be very, very careful that you're happy or you'll embarrass us at the restaurant, you know. And, and, and whenever you start thinking it's about your happiness, if it's a marriage and you start saying, well, I'm, I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy in this marriage. Well it's it's God didn't give you a mate for you to be happy. It's it's all about pouring into each other. It's it's just like it's just like if Oh, I thought you fit to say something. It's it's just like if you want somebody to come to your birthday parties, then you need to attend other people's birthday parties. If you want people to come to your baby showers, you better have sown some seed in other people's baby showers. If you want people to be in, involved in your stuff, then you have to be involved in their stuff. And, and you say, you may say, "Well, I was always busy." Well, you may find they're always busy, because you know it's, it's, it's just it's relationship. It's 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 me loving you and you loving me, forbearing one another, giving one another. What's that? What's your What's your favorite scripture that you always talk about? This is the law of Christ. Talk in your microphone. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There you go. Galatians 6:22. That's a mission at verse. There you go. Bear ye one another's burdens. You know, when we come down here and pray, we pray for each other. We lay our hands on each other. We pray for each other. Because when I'm down here, I want you to pray for me. So when you're down here, I'm going to go pray for you. And and I have it, you know, it's it's the, the enemy of any relationship is selfishness it's whenever you start thinking it's about you and become selfish because relationship, it takes two to have a relationship. You can't be relationship with yourself. It takes two to have a relationship. And if you start thinking it's all about you, then what you find out, is, as this writer says, is that selfishness is the biggest barrier to intimacy. The first and hardest step is getting beyond your own selfish interests, desires, and expectations and moving toward knowing and unlocking the mysteries of your spouse or friend. Listening is the first step in effective communication. Listening. My wife tells me you're not listening or, or something like that. I'm not sure what all she's saying. But most of the time <laughs> she says you're not listening. I'm talking but you're not listening. And sometimes I talk and she doesn't listen. Because listening is a, it's, it's, it's so important because whenever someone speaks, a lot of times there's, there's other things that, that happen that says more than their words. Tone says more than the words. Body language says more than the words. If I ask Kathy what's wrong and she says nothing, I'm fine, then I know she's not. Because tone and body language just said something's bad wrong here. And the next thing I know is I must have done it. <laughs> and now I have to figure out what it was. And it's the same way with me. Tone and body language. You know, she may say, Did you have a good day at the church today? Yeah, it was okay. No, tone and body language says a lot. And listening is more than just hearing what they're saying. Hearing is is, is hearing not only the words. But the method, what what they're saying, and selfishness, selfishness, um, like I said, puts your own interest above everything else. Listening is the first step in in effective communication. So, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but I'm not very comfortable teaching these touchy-feely things. Knowing. Knowledge is your first response, your obedient response to building a relationship. Gaining knowledge is obedience. It is the beginning point of relationship building, this kind of knowledge comes from a careful study and close observation of the other person. It comes from an honest, objective appraisals of those observations and must be built on a sincere desire to build the relationship. Now, this is this is always funny, but it's funny because it's true. When I was at CBi and in a lot of other places, people sent out these little memes. And one of them was the mind and the emotions of a man. And it had a little box and it had one switch and a knob. That's it. One switch and a knob. Then it said <laughs> the same thing for a woman and it's got about 40 knobs and 20 switches. Why, why, why are women seemingly much more complicated than men? I tell Kathy all the time, all I need is attention, appreciation, and a little affection once in a while, and that's it. And sometimes she'll say, what are you thinking about? And I'll say, nothing, and I'm being serious. I'm not thinking about nothing. She'll say, oh, no, you're not. What? I, I can see it on your face. I said, I don't, I don't know what you see. If you see nothing, then that's, that's right. But, but you ladies, y'all are never thinking about nothing. You're, you're never not doing something. You're never. And, 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 and why is that? Why, why is that? I'm not an expert in this area and and certainly all women are not alike as all men are not alike but I would say by, by and large God created it that way because basically so that I wouldn't get bored in the pursuit of my wife because once I've got her figured out guess what? She turns the knobs. And we have to start figuring it out again. And it's, it's, a, it's a constant relationship. It's, it's not difficult. I'm not saying she's doing it on purpose. And I'm sure I do some of that too. But, but it's, it's, it's the constant building of our lives together. The constant talking and listening and hearing what's going on with her and hearing what's going on around her and her emotions and her feelings today which may be different tomorrow, but the pursuit. Um, let's, let's look real quick at Proverbs 5. Let's look at Proverbs, I think it's the fifth chapter. Let's look over here at Proverbs 5. Yeah. Solomon was wise. He had 300 wives and 700 mistresses. He should know something about women. <laughs> Solomon said in Proverbs 5.15, Drink water out of your own cistern and running waters from your own well. Let your fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of water in the streets. Let them be thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. He says this, Let her be as a loving hind and a pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all time and be thou ravished always by her love. For why would thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders his going. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of folly he shall go astray. So Solomon tells us that let the woman in 19 be as a loving hind and a pleasant roe. You know, um, that's kind of, of the dear family. And, and I think what he's telling me in this is that if I'll spend my time pursuing, knowing, listening, investing myself in my wife, my own cistern here, then I won't really be interested in other cisterns. I want I won't, cisterns. <laughs> Because, because a woman is designed so that a man doesn't, I, sh- I should never get bored, right? I should never have to go anywhere else as long as I'm investing myself in her and she's investing herself in me. And as long as I remember that selfishness is my biggest enemy, so as long as, you know, a husband love his wife as Christ loved the church and the wa- and wife see that she reverences her husband, then that is the basis of our relationship. So, I, I, as I was thinking about this today, um, I, I thought about, about the Song of Solomon, which is the, the love book of the Bible. So, if we go over to the Song of Solomon, one of the things I thought about in order to um, affair-proof your marriage, if you would, um, and I'm not sure that that's a proper term, but in order to make sure that you're pouring yourself into your spouse, One of the biggest things, whenever Kathy and I counsel with couples, one of the biggest things we tell them is this. You cannot stop dating. Just because you get married, you cannot stop dating. And when kids come along, you need to get a sitter every now and then and still go out and remember how to talk to each other. Remember what to talk about. Remember how to keep your lives intertwined with each other. And so Song of Solomon talks about this. So let's, let's take just a moment here and let's go through a, a chapter of the Song of Solomon. So we go to Song of Solomon, chapter 2. This is a lovely, just an absolute essential book on love. So as we begin here, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, we're going to begin with verse 8. Now this couple that I'm fixing to read to you, they are in the dating stage. They are in the infatuation stage and as I read this, I think you'll see that they are, they are very much in love and they are, they are very much in that, that stage of, of young love. And so it starts out with this. This is what she says. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. I thought that was pretty cool. This guy is so anxious to see her that he's skipping upon the hills, and he's leaping upon the mountains. So do you remember when you first started dating and you knew you were in love? You remember, guys, how you, you used to be excited, you get, you know, you always trying to think of things to do, things to, things to give, things to make her, you know, send her a card, I don't know, whatever it was, you know. You, you were so excited to see her, so excited, and this is what she continues to say. My beloved is like a row or a young heart. Behold, he stands behind the wall. He looks forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. What's he doing? He's sneaking a peek at her. He's sneaking a peek at her. He's looking around the corner. He's probably winking at her, flirting with her a little bit, you know, just kind of making eyes at her, you know. He's looking at her through the lattice, and she's, she's trying to act like she don't notice him, you know, or I don't know, maybe she does notice him. Um She says, my beloved spake and said unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds and come, and the voice of the young turtle is heard in our land. What's he saying? He's saying, my love is sprouting forth. My winter is gone. My time of wanting to be single, my winter is gone. And now my summer is spread forth. I got the birds singing, I got the turtles making racket. What else has he got here? He's got the voice of the the fig tree puts on her leaves the vine with the tender grapes give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away man that guy's he's he's got it together huh he's he's sick in love he his, his time his winter's over with his spring's here. his flowers are planting his birds are singing. he's just excited about getting to see her and uh you know, I, I remember back in the days before cell phones when Kathy and I was dating back in the day, we'd, we'd go out and might, we, might, we had to be in by midnight or 11.30 or something like that, whatever it was. And I remember dropping her off and then driving home and dialing her number back. Just being with her for three or four hours. we get home and 385, whatever it was, 4627. And she'd answer the phone and I'd say, What's she doing? She'd say, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm getting ready for bed. Why, why are you calling me? I'd say, I just want to hear you breathe. Just, I just want to hear you for a minute. You know? What is that? That's young love. That's excitement. That's fun. My winter's past. My spring is open. My turtle doves, uh, speak, baby. Just say anything. Don't say nothing. Just breathe in the phone. That's good enough for me. You know? none of Y'all aren't romantics? You know? Just wanting to be together. Just, you know, I, m- I remember we used to stand on the porch, you know, and tell her good night for an hour. <laughs> and we'd say, oh, I just can't wait till I don't have to say good night anymore. Can't wait till we get married. Can't wait till we're living in. Just so, everything was so exciting. Everything was so wonderful and just so anxious to. See- When I got in college, we had to say, look, on Thursday night, I can't see you because I'm working and i got to do homework and and I just can't be up there on Thursday. But I still end up calling her and talking on the phone to her. Why did I do that? Because my winter was past. The rain was over. The flowers appeared on the earth. The time of singing. The voice of the turtle dove. The the trees footpore their leaves, The vine and the tender grapes. Arise, my love, my fair one. Guys, it's up to us to keep that alive somehow. It's up to us to continue to be romantic, to continue to be excited, to continue to, to, to embrace, to continue to love. That's, that's, that's part of our responsibility to try to maintain that, that relationship and keep the, keep the passion, the fire, the excitement going. Um, it's it's part, of, part of our job because remember, selfishness destroys a relationship. But if I'm continually excited and continually trying... You know, we had, we had some disagreements when we were dating. We, we had some. We, we argued a few times before we got married. But you know what? I, I never thought we were going to break up. I mean, well, I think we did break up once for a little while. But that, that was because I was being selfish, to be honest with you. But I never, I never thought we wouldn't get back together, you know. So, uh, so here's, uh, he tells her, he says, "Oh my dove, thou art the cleft of the rocks and the secret places of the stairs. Let me see your countenance. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. He's, he's totally eaten up with her. What's her response to this? Well, he says, "Takes the foxes, take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine, for our vines have tender grapes." So what, is, what does that verse mean? Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. For our vine has tender grapes. What what is he saying? He's saying I'm not going to let something come between us that's going to ruin our future. Our vines have tender grapes. Our vines have a future. There's a crop coming. And I'm not going to let some little fox come in here and rob my vine, eat my grapes, destroy my future. He, he protected that relationship. He protected those thoughts. He, pro, he protected her. He, he protected that that, marriage, that, that, relation, that dating relationship because he, won, he was in it for the long haul. He wasn't in it for two weeks. He wasn't in it for a month. He wasn't in it for a couple of years. He was in it till death do us part. And he wanted to make sure that he didn't let some little fox get in there and start gnawing away and destroying their future. So he protected that vine. He was careful about what he said. He was careful about the way he presented himself. He was very respectful. He was very he was very kind. He was very protective of that relationship to try to make sure that that relationship stayed in a proper perspective and stayed with the right kind of love, the right kind of relationship, the right kind of communication. Because knowing is your knowledge is your first response. Your obedient response to building a relationship. Her response is this My beloved is mine and I am his. He feeds among the lilies. He feeds among the lilies. A nice place, a beautiful spot. She tried to make it everything pleasant for him. She wanted him to feed among the lilies. How long? Until the daybreak and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be there like a roe or a young hart upon the mountains of Bether. So we see here that her desire is that she maintained an orderly, good relationship, that she wanted him to feed among the lilies. She wanted him to be in a prosperous place. She wanted him to be in a place of comfort. She wanted him to be in a place that was beautiful, a place that was, that was pleasant to his mind. And, and whenever that, his feelings for her and her feelings for him, whenever they were put together, then she wanted to be with him. Until the daybreak and the shadows flee away, turn my beloved and be like a roe or a young heart on the mountains of he, he She wanted him to be around. Do you see what all that's about? Can you kind of feel their love? Can you kind of feel their devotion to each other? Can you kind of feel what they're doing? Can you, can you feel that or is this just too corny for you to get into it? What, what do you think? Anybody got a comment? Can you feel that? Yes? You got a comment or you can feel it? Oh, okay. Are <laughs> oh, you're talking about Solomon? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, um, Solomon's, Solomon's love of women ended up being his downfall because he couldn't love just one. Um, and, and the Bible, remember what marriage is. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and they two shall become one flesh. So marriage is, is for one. And when you start trying to love one this way, then your marriage should work. If you try starting start loving 100, you can't love them this way and you're going to drive yourself crazy like Solomon. Because Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes said he's known a few good men, but he hadn't known, known one good woman. It's not because he didn't know good woman women. It's just because the relationship was about him and they weren't always interested in it being about him. So, can you kind of feel how she feels about him? Can you kind of feel the love there? You kind of feel the excitement there, the young love, can you kind of feel that or have I not done a good job of presenting that? Did I did a good job, okay. Okay, so let's, let's read here. Verses in, in the, on your sheet, it says, the maiden seems clearly to be in her own home in the city. He is like a gazelle or a young stag in his energy and in his passionate desire to be with her. Um, he comes speedily and overcoming any obstacles that stand in the way. His speech is soft and personal, filled with terms of affection he was not passive in his pursuit to experience in her, but active, energetic, and enraptured. I think that's amazing. Passionate, active, energetic, and raptured. Enraptured. Now, so that's young love. So now let's see what happens after they've been married for a while. Let's turn to Song of Solomon chapter 5. Let's get over here to being married for a while. Because a lot of y'all in here have been married for a while. So remember what the dating experience sounded like? Passionate, energetic, enraptured, in love. Come, my love, like a young stag on the hills of Beether. Feed among my lilies. Oh, my turtle dove. You hear him call her that? Oh, my little dove, my little dove. Come out, let me see your pretty face. That's what we got on there. So now what do we have? Now we've been married. So now let's listen to, to the marriage thing here. Chapter 5, verse 1. He says, I am coming to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, my, oh, my friends, drink. Ye drink abundantly, O oh beloved. He says, I've finished my day's work. I've got myself all cleaned up. I, I, I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to be with you. I want to be a part of you. And let's see her response. I sleep, but my heart wakes. It's the voice of my beloved that knocks, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. So he's still saying some pretty affectionate terms to her, right? My dove, my love, my undefiled. For my heart, my head is filled with dew, my locks with the drops of night. I have, and she says this, I put off my coat, how shall I put it back on? I've already washed my feet. Why should I defile them? What is she saying? I've already gotten dressed for bed. I ain't getting up and open no door. Open it yourself. He says, I'm, my locks are wet with dew, baby. I put in a good day work. I got all cleaned up. I've eaten supper open the door and she says, oh man, my feet are clean, i got my nightgown on, I've already taken a bath. What, goodness gracious, you're so needy. You're just so needy. What is the problem? She's lost the sweet tone out of her voice. He's lost his patience with her. What does he do next? He says, my beloved put his hand in the hole of the door and my bowels were moved for him. He's trying to break in now. He's lost those sweet tones. He's no longer my little dove, my little turtle dove, my little honey bunch, my little, my little comely, little hot little baby. Come on, open the door to me. Now he's saying, open this door. She says, I got in bed. I don't want to get up. So what's happened? What happened to the relationship? Who's she more concerned about now? Herself. I've already gone to bed. I got my feet clean. I took a bath. You want me to do what? I'm not getting up. And, and who's he concerned with? I said, open this door. I said, let me in. I put in a good day's work. I've worked hard today. I've got cleaned up. I've shaved and everything. Open the door. What happened? You know, um, it's what happens when we, when we get married sometimes. We start, we start getting a little bit selfish with ourselves. We start forgetting of, to, to speak to each other in sweet tones. We start forgetting about how we felt when we got married and why we got married. Suddenly we start thinking that this person living in the house with us has become my enemy. I don't have to talk nice to him anymore. I don't have to bring her flowers anymore. We don't, have to, we don't have to continue to do all that. We're married. We're married. We're married. We don't have to, you know, we, we, we know what we're doing. We're good. We love each other. We're good. Well, show it once in a while. Show it once in a while. Continue to talk with those soft tones. Continue to be affectionate and romantic. Continue to, to I guarantee you, in chapter 2, if he'd have knocked on the door, matter of fact, she'd, she probably wouldn't have shut the door. Chapter 2. Matter of fact, she even says in chapter 3, she says, Be, be night on my bed. I saw, by night on my bed, I sought for him whom my soul loveth. I sought him and I found him not. Now, she's not supposed to find him because they're not married yet. And he's not supposed to find him, but she wishes he was there. She wishes he was there. I will rise now and go about the city and set them to the Broadways. I'll seek him. I sought him but I found him not to watchman go about. So, this is how she was before. She wanted him there, she wishes he was there. Now he's there, been there for a while, and what does she say now? Not getting up. And what is he saying? You need to open this door. And, and that's what tends to happen to our relationships. We tend to not maintain that passion. Um, number, verse 2, on your sheet it says, uh, I, speak, I sleep speaks to how familiar we become with each other, setting up the conflict which is to follow. How familiar we've come with each other. What did, what did Solomon say? Treasure her as a pleasant hind or, a, or, or some kind of deer. Pursue her. But we become so familiar with each other that we speak in tones, knowing that that tone is, is going to... We say things that we know is, are going to be offensive. We, we, we cease to be concerned sometimes with how we present ourselves. We, we cease to be concerned with, with, with the relationship because it slowly, over time, starts becoming about me and my happiness and my selfishness. And when those things begin to happen, then the wonderful, loving, pursuing, kind and great marriage relationship, dating relationship, becomes a marriage relationship that ends up in a lot of trouble becoming familiar with each other, so familiar with each other. Uh, Verses 2 through 6, he speaks of selfish and self-gratifying behavior are normally the source of a conflict within marriage. Conflicts of this nature that remain unresolved serve only to provide continual damage to the soul, the spirit, the soul, and the fleshly union of the couple. that, That relationship, that selfish relationship On both sides of the fence there you can't have one without the other that selfish relationship starts to damage every area of that marriage the spirit the soul and the flesh because in order to have a relationship you join with each other in body that's pretty obvious in soul you start thinking together acting together and in spirit those three things come together in a relationship because the two are going to become one. So, the the uh, part of this that I I enjoyed the most I, I guess it, I love enjoyed a good is a good phrase. But um, w- when you um, when you go to verse six, she says, "I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone." So she finally got up, but by the time she got up, he was so mad he already left. And so now, she says, my soul fell when he spake. I sought him, but I couldn't find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. So now what are we in right here? Does anybody know what this is called? This is called a fight. <laughs> we're in the midst of a conflict now. Now she wants to talk to him. He don't want to talk to her. Now, now he wants to find her. She don't want him to find her. It's, we're in the midst of a conflict now. And it began with selfishness on both sides. He, he demanded to come in. She didn't want to get up. He left. She went. Now here we go. We're in a conflict. And, and that conflict began with selfish behavior. So as we go on here, we find in verse 8, well, I, I think verse 7. Verse 7 says, the watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me and wounded me. The keeper of the walls took away my veil. So who are the watchmen? The watchmen that went about the city. Go, go back with me to chapter 3 for just a moment. Chapter 3. Let's see. Is that where they talk about? So in chapter 3, verse 3, it says the watchmen. Now this is, a, this is a, whenever they're in love. This is whenever they're in all mushy, gushy. Verse 3. The watchmen that go about the city found me to whom I said, saw ye my, my, him whom my soul loveth. It was but a little that I passed from them, and I found him whom my soul loveth. So that's what the watchman helped her there move forward into the love that she had for this man. Now they're in a conflict, and now let's see what it says. The watchman that went about the city found me, and what did they do? They smote me, and they wounded me. The watchman this time didn't help her find resolution and find her love, They smote her and they wounded her. So what are the watchmen? This particular writer from the expository commentary says, the watchmen of guilt, remorse, depression, and shame beat her to reinforce her guilt and sense of failure at the slowness of her response to her husband. And that's what happens a lot of times. We we, We know we made a mistake. We know we did something wrong. We know we should work to resolve it on both sides. I'm not saying there's no such thing as a one-sided argument. It takes two to argue. It takes two to have a conflict. We know we should try to settle it. We know what we did was, was selfish. We understand that we need to fix it. But instead of doing that, instead of doing that, we allow guilt and remorse and depression and shame Begin to enter into that conversation, and the next thing you know, we're in a full-fledged, screaming fit. Why? Well, how did we get there? We got there because we allowed those things, those watchmen, to influence us. And instead of saying, look, I love you and you love me, let's sit down and settle this. Let's let's get this settled. Instead, we say, well, you beat on the door like a crazy man. Well, you wouldn't get up. Well, I didn't have to get up. I didn't want to get up. Well, you should have got up. You would have got up before. I know y'all have never been there. But that's how these things happen. Those watchmen, those watchmen of guilt, remorse, depression, and shame beat on her to reinforce her guilt. The the writer goes on to say that wisdom in relationships includes the act of putting yourself aside for your spouse. It is is responding through a godly filter rather than a selfish worldly filter. Wisdom is knowing that justice, listen to this, wisdom is knowing that justice can never be satisfied. You're never going to say that great zinger that puts him in his place. And you're never going to say that great Phrase that lets her know how you really feel. You know what you're going to do. You're just going to keep throwing fire uh, gas on that fire. It's just going to keep elevating and getting more and more and more and more, because because these watchmen just just it's it says on these watchmen it said it says uh, they smote me they wounded me. The keepers of the wall took away my veil from me. Th- those watchmen took away her her innocence that that veil, that thing that causes him to see her as a, as a godly, pure, holy woman, the watchman ripped it away from her. Why? Because he no longer sees her that way because she's red-faced and mad, just like he is, and it's never one-sided. And it all started, why? Because we lost those tender eyes and those nice affections and those kind words and those protecting that vine so that the, so that the grapes, so that the grapes stay harvest and we don't let the foxes steal it here's something that I think is very important unless y'all have a comment okay here's your homework relationships suffer from the philosophy of having the last word said you know what that means Having the last word said. Always got to have that last little. Always got to always got to be the one that delivers the final. You know, as you're walking away, you throw a grenade on your shoulder, and just let it blow up. You know, deal with that, baby. You know, got to have the last word, and the challenge for couples us. And, and it's not only just men and women, it's also relationships with friends. You know, you, you, you have the last, you try to, you, you get mad at somebody, you know, y'all maybe y'all been fishing together all this time or something. And he shows up a little late one morning and you get all mad because you wanted to be out on the lake and here you go at it. And next thing you know, you're out there and you don't want to fish no more and you're ready to come in. You've had enough. And as he's leaving, he shuts the door and he says, you, you ain't going out with me again. Got, got to throw that last zinger in there. Got to get that in there, you know? And the challenge is this. The last word is normally applied in blame, accusation, or anger. The secret of an enduring, happy relationship could be as simple as, could be as simple as leaving about three or four things unsaid. Leaving three or four things Unsaid instead of trying to always be the one that gets the last word in that final punch that that death blow instead of being that one sometimes just let it slide just don't 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 engage yourself in it and i know when you're mad that's hard not to do i mean you you, you got it going pretty good and some of you are very good at dealing de- death blows you're very good at sending that last zinger across the bow but it it's going to do more. De- it's it's that little fox that's stealing your grapes. It's that little fox that puts pain in that relationship, so that you may make up from it, and you may be okay with it, and everything may be may be fine in the morning. But two weeks from now, three weeks from now, a month from now, when the conflict starts again, the next thing you know, the first thing you hear about, is what happened four weeks ago. Well, you know, you did this four weeks ago. Same thing, started this way again. Well, I know, and you're just, you can't get any better either, you know, and here we go. Because because of the last thing said. And so the homework is this. Keep the dating and patient spirit alive in your marriage. Avoid hurtful and harmful last word gigs and sometimes choose to walk remaining silent. Choose silence sometimes. Song of Solomon 5, 10 through 16. Here's what, after they had this fight, instead of holding the grudge and being upset, and and this is her speaking, um, it could be him just as well, but this is her speaking, and this is the proper response after you've had a conflict. She says, my beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head are as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are the eyes of doves by rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. I think he's a pretty good looking guy. His cheeks are as a bed of spices and sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with burl. His belly As bright ivory overlaid with sapphire. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is who? This is my friend. O daughters of Jerusalem. what's her what's her and, and he, he could say the same thing. This is her speaking, but So what's she saying about him now? What's she saying about him? What's she trying to do? Huh? She's doing more than trying to make up. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Because when you hear something, it somehow gets in your spirit. I don't understand the connection. I just know it works. If you, talk, if you talk bad about your friend and you talk bad about your spouse, especially after you've had a conflict, you continue that same vein, well, he, he just won't ever compromise. He just won't ever be a part of what I, he won't ever do this. He won't ever do that. She won't ever do this. She won't never do She, 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 she he, 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 he. You keep saying that and guess what your feelings are toward them over time. Guess what your feelings are. You don't respect them. You don't, you'll get to where you don't, you, you tolerate them but you don't have any patience with them. Why? Because you've continually put them down. You've continually convinced yourself that they're not worthy of your love, that they're not worthy of your time, that they're, not, that they're not worthy of this investment that you have to put into the relationship to make it work. And you talk about it all the time until you convince yourself that it's just not worth your time. Men and women. And I know a lot of times, guys, we talk about our wives or talk about our girlfriends or whatever, and we do it jokingly. You know, we say things and everybody laughs. And it's probably okay once in a while, but if you make a diet of that, if you continually make your wife or your girlfriend the butt of your joke, then it's not going to be long you that's how you start feeling about her. And you'll start saying things like that when she's standing there. And everybody will laugh. And she may laugh, but she won't think it's funny. Do you hear what I'm saying? So what did she do? She immediately uh, reaffirmed good things about him. She immediately says, he's, he's white and ruddy. He's very handsome. He's the chiefest among 10,000. I got the very best one. I got the best man there is. He, he takes, he, he's, he's, uh, his head's like the most, his rock locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves, washed with milk fitly. cheeks is spices, dropping with lilies, dropping sweet myrrh. His hands are gold rings, and his belly is bright and ivory, legs as pillars. He's a, he's a strong, good-looking, prosperous, fine man. I've got the best among 10,000. That's my, that's my man. That's my man. Why does, why, does Solomon, why does Solomon say for us to do this, particularly after a conflict? To reaffirm our love. To reaffirm our mate or our, boy, or our boyfriend, girlfriend, or friend or whatever, to reaffirm that relationship in our own eyes. To reaffirm it, to, to let to, to let my spirit know that this is worth my spending my time with. This is, we're gonna make this work. And we're not just gonna make it work by gritting our teeth, we're gonna make it work by loving each other. And he, he pours into, she pours into her spirit things about him. And if and if we had the other side of this story, he would have to pour into his spirit things that he loved about her. Because if you focus on the negatives, then your relationship will never be anything but negative. And your spouse will never be exalted in your eyes, and he'll never be good enough, and he'll never be be the person that you want him to be. And the same thing with her. She won't be the person that you want her to be, the one that you want to protect your sweet vine from the little foxes because you're making a long-term investment here. If you're continually saying things about her or about him, that causes your spirit, your well and your spirit, to be poisoned. And that goes for relationships between husband and wives. That goes for relationships between friends. If you're continually talking about your friend, then how do you think you're going to eventually feel about them? You're going to lose that friendship. You're going to lose that relationship. You're going to lose that closeness. You're going to lose that. Because you're telling yourself... That it's not worth it. Is this making any sense? It makes sense to me. And I got the paper, so I should know. So, the most important thing we can do in a relationship, whether it's husband, wife, or friendships, or whatever, is to maintain that excitement that put us together to begin with. To work to keep that going. And whenever there is a conflict, and there will be a conflict, I, I don't know if, I, you know, the Bible says two becomes one. So there's going to be some rub there. There's, and God, God, with a sense of humor, makes men and women to where they're almost opposite. So there's going to be some rub there. It's just going to happen. And when that conflict occurs, it's important that you don't let the watchman on the wall. Depression, guilt, shame, Those things, don't let those watchmen cause you to cause harm to your relationship. Not to say you're not ever going to argue, not to say you're not ever going to have conflict, not to say you're not ever going to have those moments. You will have them. But make sure that you don't let that watchman drive you so far away that you lose your innocence. Take away my veil. That you lose your innocence. That you lose your reputation that you you lose the thing that he or she loves about you, make sure that you protect that and end that conflict by reaffirming the very reasons that you got together to begin with. And remember that this, this is not an adversarial relationship. This is a relationship of love. And love is patient and love is kind. Love doesn't vault itself up believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So, everybody remember their homework? What's your homework? Leave one thing unsaid. Leave one thing unsaid. When that zinger comes in your mind and you want to bring it home, then just... Let it go. Leave it. Just one. You're going to talk now? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? He said you had to get the last word in. You got anything to say before we shut down here? You've been quiet. If we need prayer in these areas, can we come on down? <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time to quit. I hope, I hope this was helpful. I, I mean, I, I always enjoy going through this because I, it's good to reaffirm uh, yourself and, and just um, remind yourself every now and then. So I enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. Stand with me tonight, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Almighty God, for the relationships that you've allowed us to have, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that you said it's not good for a man to be alone. And Lord God, that you gave us wives and husbands and friends, Lord God, so that we will not be alone, Father. And now I ask you, Almighty God, that you would help us, oh God, in our relationships, Father. Lord, I pray, God, that these lessons that we're learning, Lord God, I pray, Father God, that we would put them to heart and put them into action. And, Lord God, that you would build strong families and strong relationships and strong friendships in this church, oh God, that we might be a family, Lord God, the family of God. And, Lord God, we praise you for this opportunity. and Thank you in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. 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 God bless you.